Greetings to those who watch below. Before we start today's creepypasta, I'd like to say thank you and give a huge shout out to those who dwell below. An exclusive channel membership you can join by checking out the link in the description box. So thank you to Steffi Ray, Wicked Witch, Lisa Watts, Lefty Kim, Finn McCool and Jess Black Curtain. I'd also like to give a little shout out to my friend Sue. She works here in the UK on the 111 line. The other day she spoke to new subscriber Brian Wilson and mentioned the channel and also recommended it to him. So he reached out to me and asked if I could say thank you to her for recommending the channel while waiting for the medical help he needed. But now, sit back, relax and enjoy Bangar Fort by Monica Mishra. I'm Richard Davis, a second generation Indian American and an ex-internet celebrity. What made me famous you ask? Well, I'm a ghost hunter. Though technically I don't really hunt ghosts, but instead prove that they don't exist. I got this idea after watching a documentary where a team of paranormal researchers visited a haunted place and collected evidence of an evil presence. They had EMFs that were flashing like crazy and cameras acting all weird and the usual shit they show in horror movies for cheap thrills. I was 22 back then and had seen tons of horror movies and believed that it was nothing more than a money-making business. I'm not saying that I didn't enjoy the jump scares, the nail-biting suspense or the anticipation. Anticipation, after all, is worse than the actual scare. I find horror thoroughly entertaining, and so do millions of other people. That's how the idea of Ghost Mythbuster was born. I knew that just like me, there are millions out there who enjoy ghost stories, but don't necessarily believe in the supernatural. All excited, I created a teaser on YouTube the same night I saw the documentary, and titled it Ghost Myth Buster. There's no point searching for it on YouTube. I've deleted my account and all the videos. I spoke about how the business of Scary is a billion dollar industry, and how they fool people by advertising their movies as true stories. I went on for another 10 minutes about how I plan to visit the most haunted places in the world and prove that ghosts don't exist and it's all bullshit. I uploaded the video and hit the sack. When I woke up the next day, I immediately regretted what I had done the night before. People would think I'm crazy. After all, there were so many people out there who embark on similar adventures. I logged into my account to delete the video, but noticed that I had more than 10,000 comments on it. I was flabbergasted. People loved my idea. Well, most people did. I literally read all the comments and even replied to most of them. Loads of them encouraged me to put this plan in action. Many liked how I was not associated to the entertainment business, and thus believed I won't fake it by including false scares in my video. I was overwhelmed, but then I didn't really have the money to travel. The best I could do was visit the haunted sites free for the public to see, and come back with my experience. But what good would that be? My audience would want more. I made a general comment in the video description thanking people for being so supportive and encouraging and then explaining that I'll have to drop this idea as I've just finished my graduation and I'm looking for a job and thus won't be able to afford this adventure. I couldn't believe what happened next. People willingly offered to sponsor this mission and thus started my reign as an internet celebrity. It lasted a good five years. I don't want to go into the specifics of how I got my crew 
as that would digress me from what I want to tell you. So just know this, we were a team of four, including me, my cameraman Mike, my PR Stacy, and Jerry, my trip advisor. That's what I called him, as he researched about haunted places and planned our next destination, and even made our travel arrangements. We never ran out of haunted places to visit, as there were at least 20 new ghost sightings reported almost every month in America. It was just me and Mike, the two daredevils that went on these missions. We had successfully released more than 400 episodes on YouTube, and never once did we encounter anything remotely supernatural. Though, I'll be honest, we did include jump scares to keep the audiences entertained. Don't judge me. I was now a part of showbiz after all. I'd returned from Connecticut after filming an episode and had fixed myself a nice lunch. I was just about to bite into my club sandwich when I heard a knock on the door. I was too hungry and too tired and was going to dismiss the knocking. But then it grew louder until I decided to open the door. I didn't open it right away, but rather peeped through the keyhole. I saw a woman's silhouette just for a split second. I flung the door open to catch hold of her, but there was no one there. I even looked around, but didn't see anyone. I dismissed it as some kid playing a prank, but then my gaze fell on a neatly folded red headscarf lying at the door entrance. I picked it up to investigate. The fabric was smooth, and it had detailed gold embroidery on it, and looked quite expensive. I undid the scarf, and a piece of paper fell out, on which there were words written in a different language. I knew it was Hindi, but I didn't know how to read in Hindi that well. I used Google Translate, and it translated to Bangar. I understood Hindi, and could manage to speak broken Hindi, but I didn't know what Bangar meant. Again, Google came to my rescue. Bangar is a village situated in India. It is famous for its historical ruins, and Bangar Fort is considered as one of India's most haunted locations. This brought a smile to my face. I'd shot all my episodes in America till now, and had been planning an overseas adventure for a long time. This was the perfect location. I forgot all about how fatigued and famished I was, and made some calls. Within two weeks of getting that piece of paper, Mike and I set out on our journey to India. I'd been to India a couple of times with my family, but had never been to Jaipur. After a long and tiring flight, we landed in Jaipur in the evening, and slept 16 hours straight. We set out to Bangar Fort the very next day. We had hired a car to drive us round, and Bangar Fort was a two-hour drive from our hotel. The plan was to reach Bangar at around 4pm, and stay back surreptitiously till it was dark, and then begin rolling the cameras. I say surreptitiously, as no one was supposed to stay in the precincts of the fort at night, per a notice board put up by the Archaeological Survey of India at the entrance. There were guards who come looking for adventure seekers and force them out before dusk, but since the fort is huge, it's not too difficult to hide from them. Our driver, Ravi, told us a couple of spooky stories about Bangar Fort on the way. He left us outside the Ajmeri entrance of the fort, and promised to pick us up at dawn the next day. On entering the fort, we saw many temples and palaces, but they were not in the best of condition. We explored the place for a bit, and decided on a hiding spot in the fort just before dusk. No one came to check. 
it seemed like the difficult part was over. Now it was simply rolling the camera and recording. I was so, so wrong. If only I knew of the horrors that awaited us. We were in one of the many rooms of the fort when it became pitch dark. I knew it was a full moon, so it shouldn't have been that dark. Even Mike was thinking the same thing. Mike sounded scared. Uh, Rickman? I've never seen a night so pitch black. I can't see a thing. This doesn't seem right. I tried to sound reassuring. Relax, Mike. I've been to India before, and this is how it is here. I didn't sound too convincing, but Mike didn't argue. Do you realize that it's not just dark, but there's literally no sound, either of the wind or the crickets or anything at all for that matter? Mike sounded irritated this time. Or are you going to say that in India wind is mute and there are no crickets and insects? I had no reply to his question. He was right. It was eerily quiet and unsettling. It felt like the temperature had dropped almost by 50 degrees. Rick, could you at least switch on the fucking flashlights? It feels really creepy in here, Mike shouted. I couldn't agree more. Even I was spooked. This place was giving me the creeps. I fumbled the flashlight out of my coat pocket and pointed it in front of me and clicked. The light fell on something that was a mere two feet away from us. It was a huge, two-headed and savage rabid dog. Rather, a beast. His teeth, eerily incandescent, emitted a strange purple glow and were as sharp as a fine diamond sword. What further had been was tufty and thin, providing no protection to the elements at all. It was looking at us with red, hateful eyes. Both me and Mike were paralysed with fear. Our trance was broken by its angry growl. We regained our senses and bolted out of the room. I could literally feel the beast's breath on my neck. We must have run for a good ten minutes before we sensed we had lost him. We were out of breath and panting heavily. After gaining his breath, Mike said, Fuck, dude. This is not happening. I, I can't do this. Let's get out of here. This place is indeed haunted. Just because you're chased by a dog doesn't mean the place is haunted. Stop being a sissy, I snapped. I was not going to give up so easily and ruin everything I had built in the last five years because of some rabid dog. Mike sounded angry. Fuck, man, you're crazy. How many two-headed dogs have you seen in your life, huh? Did you see the teeth on that thing? Did it look normal to you? I don't care if you want to stay, but I sure don't. I'm calling Ravi and asking him to pick me up. You can fly solo on this one. Before I could argue with Mike, we heard an ear-splitting scream. It sounded inhuman. Before we could react, it came again, and this time it was louder and closer than before. I didn't need any convincing this time. Mike, let's get out of this godforsaken damn place. Whatever cursed creature is making that noise would be upon us in no time. Let's try and get to the main entrance, and then call Ravi. I didn't get any reply from Mike, so I shone the flashlight on him, and what I saw filled me with dread. Mike's mouth was sewn shut with what looked like human hair, and he didn't need words to describe the horror and pain he felt as it was evident in his eyes. Towering above Mike, as tall as a double-decker bus, was a creature straight from the very depths of hell, an abomination. 
the leathery-skinned creature was the most hideous being one could lay their eyes on. It began to emit a series of squeaks and clicks. It reeked of raw sewage and rotten fish. I will never forget the look in its evil eyes. It was grinning from ear to ear, and it was the ugliest grin. It was holding Mike with its clawed hands, drool dripped from its mouth, and phlegm oozed from its nostrils. It didn't need an expert to guess that Mike was the monster's meal. I am not a coward, but I am not stupid either. I knew I couldn't save Mike. Just when the monster was about to take its very first bite of my friend, I made a dash. I could never forget Mike's dying screams. Sometimes I wish I could, though. I ran as fast as my legs would carry me. My heart and lungs were burning, and after running for what felt like forever, I fell face forward on the cold floor. I didn't try to get up. I couldn't even if I wanted to. I had run so far. Still, I was in the fort, and nowhere near the exit. It seemed like a loop I could never get out of. I cried like I had never cried before. I felt so helpless. I had just left my friend to die in the worst manner possible. I was responsible for his death. All this happened because I didn't believe in the supernatural, and now the supernatural came to bite me. This was so ironic. Despite the circumstances, I started laughing, and then crying, and then wailing. This went on for what felt like hours. I finally mustered the energy to stand up on my feet. I had lost the flashlight while trying to escape, but still had my mobile phone on me. With renewed hope, I unlocked it to call Ravi, but fate was not on my side. There was no network. I tried moving around to at least get a single bar, but in vain. I checked the time on my phone. It was 3am. That meant I had to survive three more hours before the sun came up, and this nightmare could end. This filled me with new hope. I tried to assess my surroundings to see if I can spot a window or another possible exit. There were none. This was a torture chamber. There were chains, shackles, manacles, and whips of all sorts. There was a sword hanging on the wall opposite me, and it had fresh blood on it. I had seen enough to know better to run for my dear life when something tugged at my ankle. I looked down, and from the light emitting from my phone saw a partially decomposed being, which could have been a man once. He was cut in half. The part from the waist down was missing. His eyeballs were hanging out of his eye sockets. The room smelled like rotten meat. The man was dragging himself towards me while making gurgling noises. It sounded like Bakao Babu, which is Hindi, for save me, sir. I kicked at him and bolted out of there. I ran for a while before I tumbled down a flight of stairs. I heard my bones crunch, and an immense pain shot up from my left hand to my shoulder. I clutched my hand and cried out. Just then, my cell phone rang. Despite the pain, I got excited. What if it was Ravi checking up on us? I reached out for my phone to answer the call. Mike's name was flashing on the screen. With shivering hands, I answered it. It was Mike, screaming, which was followed by the inhuman screams. I threw my phone away, and it hit something hard and broke. I cried again and wished for this to be over. 
I had lost both my cell phone and my hope of escaping alive from this place. I decided to just stay where I was and await my impending doom. There was no point fighting it now. I must have been still for what seemed like hours when I heard something in the distance. It sounded like anklet bells. I knew this sound as my grandmother too wore those. I briefly decided to run, but what good would that have done in the dark? I would fall again and suffer. Instead, I closed my eyes and waited. Nothing happened. I finally opened my eyes, and standing in front of me was the most beautiful woman I had ever laid eyes on. She was dressed like an Indian bride, in a bright red sari. The material of the sari was the same as that of the scarf that I had found left on my door the other day. She had a lot of jewellery on her and smelled like jasmine. She was holding an oil lamp in her hand and was smiling at me. After all that had happened, I should have suspected that the monster was playing tricks on me, but she didn't scare me at all. She was like an oasis in the desert, an angel. I forgot all my woes and smiled back at her. All exchanges between me and the bride happened in Hindi, but I'll keep it simple and mention it in English. What are you doing here? Are you hurt? She sounded concerned. Yes, I think I broke my arm, I replied. Do you want to get out of here? She asked. Hell yes, who wouldn't? I sounded excited. She chuckled at this. <laughs> okay. Follow me. I will help you escape. But no matter what, don't look behind you, she said. I obliged. While we were walking, I heard my name being called many times. One time it was my mother. Another time it was Mike calling out for help, pleading me to save him. But when I didn't respond, he cursed me and called me a backstabber and a coward. I was so tempted to turn around and explain myself to Mike but I knew he was dead. It was the evil here, trying to trap me one last time. We must have walked for about twenty minutes in silence, when I could finally see the exit. I was so thrilled. The bride looked at me, and said in a serious tone, Remember this, Rick. He wants a life for a life. Because I am setting you free, he will come to get your firstborn. It didn't make much sense to me then, all I could see was my freedom from this nightmare. I could see the first rays of the sun. I turned around to thank the bride, but she was nowhere to be seen. The next couple of days were a blur. The police never found Mike's body or the camera. The case was closed as a missing persons. I obviously couldn't tell the truth. No one would have believed me anyway. I cut all ties with my crew and deleted all the videos from YouTube. I never forget what happened to me or Mike. I still carry that guilt. But life moves on. It's been four years since that incident. And since then, I found a decent paying job, found love, and got married. Life got back on track. But today, my wife told me she is pregnant. And I'm very scared for my child. Hi guys, thank you so much for listening to today's video. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure to leave a like, and also if you haven't already, please subscribe to the channel, making sure you hit the notification bell so that you don't miss out on any videos. So, until next time...
Sleep tight. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big. 